So, on a scale from one to ten, how much better would this movie have been with some song and dances? Oh, um, a ten. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's what this needed, because as it is, I was kind of confused and didn't care. (laughs) But, like, if we had just shoved in a romantic comedy subplot Uh and added maybe, like, three song and dances and one sad montage... Uh, yeah, okay. I feel like Stretch should... it out to two and a half hours. Yeah. Tarsem, like, you need to represent. Bring your culture to us. Yeah. You know what? You make a good point. If there is one human who could lead them against Iberian, it would be Theseus. I have faith in you. Prove me right i don't know if i can do what zeus asks of me but you can see the future i cannot change the future you can I'm Rose. I'm Hannah. And this is More is More, a bad movie podcast. Where today we're talking about Immortals, starring Henry Cavill, Mickey Rourke, Stephen Dorff, Frida Pinto. Oh yeah, Luke Evans and Kellen Lutz are in it. There's a bunch of people in this. Yes. Don't worry, they are wasted. (laughs) Yeah. All of them. Most of how Mickey Rourke was used was like... Guys, you ever seen a helmet this weird before? And also, <laughs> look, look how gross he can eat on screen all the time. And I'm sorry, but a lot of people could have done that. <laughs> oh my gosh, and Mickey Rourke is such a good actor. And actually, he was probably the best on-screen presence. He because was. he really does have a commanding on-screen presence. And they did a bit of that, like, Apocalypse Now kind of villain where he's, like, shadowy a lot of the time and kind of rambling about whatever weird, crazy stuff is on his mind. Yeah. And he, uh, uh, he can do that in his sleep. Yeah. I agree. And I think he for sure embodied his character the best. But he was also the most interesting character by default, because these were all pretty basic by-the-numbers characters. They really were. Their motivation was just boring. Yeah. Everything they did was kind of boring. I mean, and some of the side characters, the side characters were the worst. Yeah. Yeah. So this is directed by Tarsem. He generally will go by one name, but you'll also see him as Tarsim Singh, and you'll also see him as whatever he was credited in this movie, which had another name thrown on the end, and I it was long, and I don't remember it. That's funny. And he started in music videos and ads, but he's really known for his visual style. I mean, he's got such an eye for production design and visuals, but, like, story is not his strong point. <laughs> no kidding. It's very clear in this movie that he's a style over substance kind of guy. 
Yeah, which is insanely confusing because he chose something that is so storied and actually has a lot of rules built in and existing stories. And he just was like, let's make a non-canon weird Greek mythology thing. This may also be influenced by the fact that he's actually from India. He's from the Punjab area in India. Called it with Singh. Yes. (laughs) So I don't know how familiar he was with the Greek legends growing up the way we were familiar with them. Yeah. So to a Western audience, it may seem a little... It was weird. Crazy. It was was crazy, yeah. I mean, I can see it going the other way. Like, you make, make a movie about... I've seen a movie made by David Lynch's daughter... Uh, in India about an Indian god situation that was insane. Yeah. And I imagine any Indian person who watched it was like, what am I watching? No, we actually don't worship this weird snake (laughs) being. Although if you look at the writing credits, those are some very Greek last names. Okay. But I don't really know what the deal was, and I don't know if he made revisions on the script afterwards. Like, I don't even know how this got made other than, like, I assume his storyboards. Yeah, I don't Which either. would have been amazing. <laughs> Once again, this movie, if you just, like, want a visual spectacle, this is the movie to watch. Yeah. If you want anything else, it's not. <laughs> so we'll jump in with... It opens with a quote that we have to read on screen by Socrates, all men's souls are immortal, but the souls of the righteous are immortal and divine. Let's get into that later. There's going to be some issues with this quote and, you know, the way the story's written. <laughs> Don't we get a date for when all of this is happening? Well, yes, the year is 1228 BC. So specific. And shockingly recent, I feel like. Actually, all it did was lead to a bunch of goofs on IMDb like this wasn't invented then and they didn't use this until then and then there was a hilarious incorrectly regarded as goofs where someone was basically like actually he wasn't trying to do a historical movie he was just trying to create the feel of something so all of that stuff wasn't actually a goof (laughs) because like he because the director didn't care say it's that uh, that doesn't make it a goof. I know. Yeah, I, I would that just say so... that the director doesn't care. Therefore, shouldn't have put a date on his movie. I know. I was like, dear commenter, you're obviously his mom. Calm down. And this is very much in the vein of 300 in that sense. Like, it's not meant to be historically accurate. Good. It is not. <laughs> no, it is not. And they do pop up with a couple of name tags, like, for the place we're in. The problem is it meant nothing to me. Yeah. I don't know where any of these places are. So when you say, well, this is it, this place, and now we're here. And I'm like, great. Is that across the country? <laughs> is that right next to each other? Yeah. I don't know. Because I can already tell it's a different place. Right. So you didn't need to tell me that. Exactly. So now I'm just confused as to, like, am I supposed to know that's, like, a day away? <laughs> or it's, like... Nowhere near the place. It's a 10-minute walk. Yeah. Apart from each other. Exactly. So I didn't write any of that down. None of it's important. Fair enough. <laughs> yes. We see a surreal image of a large black cube. Inside, it's a gleaming gold with a bunch of men coated in black mud, standing in lines of four, all biting a metal bar. Or different metal. There's, like, four metal yeah, bars. Four so there's, roads. like, they're like four by four. In, yeah. You know, and there's, like, metal bars going across. And they all have this kind of, like, metal thing a little bit around the back of their head. Yeah, but then their their teeth are all around the bars that are going across. Picture a creepy foosball table. That is exactly what I wrote down. <laughs> there's no other way to describe that. No, there's not. <laughs> a man in a mask 
looks in from the top of the cube. Someone off screen calls, Hyperion! <laughs> and then the masked man fires an arrow into the box, which explodes in white light. And then the white light billows up past four large looming statues through the top of the dome with the sound of screams. It was super cool and a little <laughs> bit creepy. It was. And probably the best part of the movie. Yeah, it was. Then he he basically, like, envisioned that scene and was like, what do I write to get to there? Exactly. And that usually doesn't work. Yeah, no. We get to a woman waking up from a nightmare or vision or some combination of the two. She is in the Oracle. So it's Frida Pinto. Yes. And there's, she when she wakes up, there's, like, a circle of, like... Four women kind of all sleeping in a circle on this large cushion. Mm -hmm. One of them is her, and the other three are the Oracle's handmaids, essentially. I'm just going to explain this now, because they didn't explain this until super far in the movie, and I found it a little bit confusing. (laughs) And, And I understand they didn't really have a space to, but... So let's just say, there's one Oracle, the other three ladies are just there to make sure that no one knows who the real Oracle is in order to protect her. That's why there's four of them, but only one can have visions. When I first saw this, I thought they were all oracles. No, that's funny. Also, it's that's crazy. In in Greece, oracles were like, here's the oracle, come see her. So one of her handmaids asks the oracle what she dreamt or saw or whatever. She says she dreamed of the Titans being unleashed by King Hyperion, who's looking for the Epirus bow to rule over mankind. Which is weird. If you release the Titans, aren't they going to rule over you? This is something that never gets addressed in the movie, ever. Yeah, I don't know really what his game plan is here. It is a little unclear. Because it kind of seems like unleashing something on the world where you're all going to die, but he seems to think that he's going to be the king of everything after releasing the Titans. Especially because the Titans are an unknown factor. Yeah, we don't know anything about them except they're bad. Right, but typically they're the Greek they're, gods. They're That's viewed pretty as pretty destructive. Yeah. And yeah. It, it best, wouldn't your goal be to kill the gods and not free the Titans? But yeah. they don't really get into that. As the oracles pray, we hear a voiceover finally explaining what the heck's going on here. Oh, I was lost. I didn't know the movie had started without a voiceover. <laughs> when this world was still young... Long before man or beast roamed these lands, there was a war in the heavens. Immortals, once thought incapable of death, discovered they had the power to kill one another. Lost in this war was a weapon of unimaginable power, the Epirus bow. The victors declared themselves gods, while the vanquished were renamed Titans and forever imprisoned within the bowels of Mount Tartarus. Eons passed, mankind flourished, and the Great War receded from memory. But the evil that once was Re-emerged. There is a lot in this that we need to discuss. Yeah, how do you just all of a sudden, like, oh, wait, actually, we're not immortal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, I just found a way to kill everyone. 
But also, if they found a way to kill them, why did they just lock them up forever? I know. Why does this that implies even that they can't be killed because you have to lock them up? It also implies that them figuring out that you could kill them had nothing to do with their winning. Yeah. Also, why did the victors name themselves gods and the losers titans? It makes it sound like like they were all the same. It's just some were on the losing side and some were on the winning side. But we can clearly see the titans look very different than the gods. Now, Rose, I've tried to explain to you before the importance of a branding consultant. <laughs> and you will not look into it. They just kept dumping mud this on the titans what, to make is, sure uh, yeah. that they looked different. This is what they did. Yeah. Got to give a different name. Own your name. Make theirs a bad one. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Also, I like that they just throw in the Epirus bow. Like, it wasn't important to the war in the heavens. We just need to know it was lost. Also, no one ever talks about why the gods and the titans had a war, but now evil has reemerged. I'm like, okay, so, like, do we know why the titans were evil in the context of this film? No, we literally know none of the differences between them. We just know that the gods are good, titans are bad. Yeah. Which is fine, but, like, then don't get all preachy about some of the things that happen. <laughs> The oracles sense that Hyperion has arrived for our main oracle, who's named Phaedra. And sure enough, a man in a mask comes tromping up the steps as a man tries to stop him from entering sacred ground. Hi, Mickey Rourke. Nice. Hyperion doesn't care much for the gods, since his family died from disease and the gods didn't do anything to help him. So now he's going to do what I would for sure do with super petty, very involved gods and just taunt them. Yeah. Taunt them and make them angry. Yep. Seems to work pretty well. Although actually in this movie, the gods are not really that petty and self-involved. Yeah, they're not. Which is why we know these are not great gods. (laughs) I know. The gods in this movie are weird and we'll get to them later. It's a weird combination of Greek god, but also kind of the modern conception of god and it doesn't really work very well. No, it does not. Hyperion sets the priest on fire and announces his plan to end the reign of the gods by releasing the titans. Which, again, I feel like the Titans would just take the place of the gods. You you would gain nothing in this. But whatever. <laughs> I know. And presumably be even worse. Yeah. Meanwhile, somewhere else, a man cuts wood on a rocky cliff in front of a beautiful golden sunset. Again, this man has such an eye. This is Theseus, our young hero. Henry Cavill. Yes. Who is shirtless through a great deal of this movie. Which yeah, even when no one else happy. is. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there is a guy that's shirtless more than him. What, Stephen Dorff? Yes. That was upsetting. We'll talk <laughs> about that later. An old man who's with him as he's chopping wood tells him there's more to being a warrior than fighting. It's also knowing when to fight and for whom. That was John Hurt, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, I like him. Theseus displays a lot of cynicism for such a young, small-town man. <laughs> Can we talk about how everyone, every other person in this movie is, like, a staunch atheist? Yeah, so Theseus is an atheist, which also seems like a surprising decision, again, for a small-town man. Uh, And he is a, yeah, you're right, he is a staunch atheist. And it, uh, we kind of see why, and it's mostly because his mother isn't treated very well by the other villagers, for reasons we'll get into later. So he and his mother are kind of social outcasts. Again, um, I do think this is kind of a modern, more, uh, 
I mean, I know he's not, again, trying to be super historically accurate, but this is much more of a modern reason for being an atheist, where there's already an existing atheism. Hyperion makes more sense because he isn't an atheist. He's just angry at the gods. Right. Theseus, on the other hand, is like, people are mean to my mom. There are no gods. And I'm like, okay, that wouldn't make sense in a culture where atheism wasn't rampant already. Yeah, that's the thing. And, I mean, he's not the only one. We'll, no. We'll encounter later a high-profile person who's like, but nobody believes that garbage, right? <laughs> I know. I, yeah. Sometime later, when Theseus and his mother are both asleep, but somehow there's also light outside. <laughs> Rose, do you have any idea how hard it is to shoot night scenes? I guess so. I'm like, I guess they were just sleeping in in the morning. This is not daybreak. And I have a feeling Theseus would have worked as a laborer if they were social outcasts. Common thing for Greek peasants to do. Wake up at 10. I actually have some (laughs) doubts as to their social status. Also, the town's warning pipes are sounded. I don't know what else to call them. They're not really like a gong or a bell. They're kind of cylindrical in shape. (laughs) Sounds so, like a pipe. and you, like, bang on them like they're a gong, but they're actually a pipe. Okay, well, you could bang on pipes. You're still... Still got some check boxes for pipes. Okay, so let's go with warning pipes. I just feel like warning pipes sounds like we're playing the bagpipes it's, to warn of invasion. It sounds pretty lame. Uh, it sounds very small and, like, yeah. like a child thought of the system. Yeah, that's, that's not actually what it is. Um, that's just my lack of vocabulary, but... <laughs> anyway, thankfully, Theseus doesn't have time to put a shirt on before going outside to see what's going on. It's some soldier telling them that they need to evacuate the village to go to Tartarus before Hyperion's army comes through. Yeah, let's point out that he's the only one who didn't manage to get a shirt on before this. <laughs> when Theseus and his mother try to leave with the others, though, a townsperson tells them they have to leave tomorrow with the other undesirables... And peasants. So Uh this implies that they are not actually peasants? Well, they could still be peasants, and he's just emphasizing that they're also undesirable because his mom's a real whore. (laughs) True, but why would... Okay, this is not actually a small, like, farming community. No, unclear what their community ever does. I guess they fish? Possibly, but it seems like it's big enough to, for one thing, for an army to come through and be like, hey, you need to evacuate. (laughs) And to need two days to evacuate people, one for all the good people and one for the gross peasants. (laughs) But somehow everyone knows who Theseus and his mother are. It's more, in the words of H.P. Lovecraft, it's more important to know what to hate than what to love. (laughs) Well, I guess so, because if they were already, if his mother was a peasant, then these people who would be leaving on the first day... They would uh, would not know who this woman was and what a whore she was. Like, they wouldn't know that. Yeah. If they're peasants, why would they also be expecting to leave the first day when it seems obvious to everyone else that all the peasants and undesirables are leaving day two? This kind of implies, and they never get into it. But this kind of implies that his mother was highborn and wound up being shunned after she had Theseus. That would make sense, I feel like. 
with the way that she's portrayed also. Yeah, but they never get into it, and I don't know why it was a thing. Again, it's weird. That's the case for a lot of this movie. Hyperion's plan, <laughs> this thing, other stuff. When the townsperson starts calling Theseus's mother names, Theseus attacks him and the soldiers that help him, and he can take them all on. It's like him against four guys, and he mm-hmm. does very well. Again, not sure what he does with his time. Uh, he's He is trained by the old man in sword fighting, we are told briefly, but like... For sure. I mean, when you look at John Hurt, especially current John Hurt, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, that guy's a boss. Yeah. I know whoever he trained, <laughs> they could beat me. Yeah, because I'm like, I don't know where you practiced in order to get this good, against, especially against, like, four other people, oh, trained soldiers, and oh, also oh, that you had all this time to do it in. Like, what is your day job, Theseus? How are you supporting your mother? Well, we see it later. He uh, trained against a tree. <laughs> yeah, really, these are just unimportant questions, because we just need him to be good at sword fighting. Yeah. And to look super good with his shirt off. Well, it's an improvement over those skirts and knee-high boots that everyone else is wearing, (laughs) and they are very funny. (laughs) So Theseus gets one of them at sword point, one of the soldiers at sword point, which gets the attention of the commander, who likes his spunk. He tries to recruit him for the army, but Theseus isn't interested. (laughs) Even though the commander has displayed no hostility towards Theseus and his mother... And in fact, being part of the army would mean that you could provide adequately for your mother and possibly that you would get evacuated that same day. Yeah, but he's putting the system on trial. He is. Very aggressively. Also, the soldier that got held at gunpoint, his name is Lysander, he gets kicked out of the army. (laughs) For for this, I think. (laughs) Yes, it is exactly for this. I feel like it's because somebody else beat him in a hand-to-hand fight, though. Or something like that. I feel like it's just because he got beaten once. And it, it like, is, yeah, it is kind of implied that this losing at the sword fight is, or, you know, hand-to-hand fight is the reason he's getting kicked out of the army, which is weird. It's not even like an emotional thing for the commander. He's like, you know the rules. I know. Even though previously we'd seen him be like, well, all is doomed because King Hyperion is going to kill us all. And I'm like, that should be what you got kicked out of the army for. Yeah, right? This is uh, very strange. But yeah, no, uh, you know the rules, Lysander. You can never let us see you lose a fight. And it was weird, especially if he was already being like, we're all gonna die. <laughs> he could just leave the army without getting fired from it. Yeah, well, I guess it's pretty easy to leave the army, actually. Just, like, pick a fight with some guy who's stronger than you. <laughs> True, but he could have just left on his own. Well, whatever. <laughs> Theseus's mentor then gives him the wise words, it's not living that's important. It's living rightly. I don't think Theseus was arguing against that. Like, this, these feel like unneeded words of wisdom. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I feel like his only egress into that conversation was that he wants to live. That, like, he wanted yeah. his mom and him to live. <laughs> that, that was it. And I was like, well, that's not important. It's living rightly. And I'm like, yeah, but he's not trying to live wrongly. He's not you know. like... Like, well, I'm going to support us by thieving and murdering. Like, that wasn't the option. He just said, like, I don't want to die. And John Hurt's like, you shouldn't cling so much to life. (laughs) It was very strange. That night, a couple of soldiers are speculating on the apparent supernaturalness of Hyperion's army, just so we know how awesome they are. Then Lysander walks up and kills them. Oh, gosh. Is he just war mad? Uh, even having seen this entire movie, there's no actual reason that I can see that he would need to kill them. Okay, cool. There's a reason I asked, because I can't remember a reason either. <laughs> yeah. I told you I was confused. It's rare, actually, for me to be genuinely confused at so many different points in a movie. 
<laughs> oh, we still have a lot of the movie to go. So. Yeah. We cut to Theseus's mentor wandering the streets after praying. I guess he was praying. I don't know. But now he's wandering. Be the weird if he was, and we'll see why. Yeah. <laughs> he senses something and transforms into a much younger, hotter man, played by Luke Evans. Oh, yeah. Then he orders the yeah, hiding maybe. woman. Hotter. Eh. Well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> His heart competing against John Hurt. Yeah. He senses the woman who was hiding and orders her to reveal herself, which she does. Turns out he's Zeus and she's Athena. A straight hottie. Oh, <laughs> Zeus warns Athena that no one must see them in their immortal forms. Not that anyone would notice. They look they maybe look just cleaner. Very human. And also, then why did you change into yours? I know. They're just kind of wearing gold clothes, yeah. but like they're the same height and size as humans and they're not like glowing in the dark or anything. I'm like, there's nothing about you. Like if I just walked out on the street, I'd be like, man, that guy must be rich because he's wearing all of this gold. Yeah, that would be my only thought. Yeah. You don't have 12 eyes. Yeah. Athena says he's been getting awfully close to intervening in mortal affairs by mentoring Theseus, but Zeus says he's been mentoring him as a mortal. So it doesn't count. This feels like splitting hairs by someone who, as we will later see, is a staunch enforcer of the rules. Yeah, it also does, though, sound like what Zeus told himself every single day <laughs> of the actual stories of Greek gods. <laughs> I don't think he told himself that. I mean, he was just like, so that that's, woman's hot. So that's the other thing. Why is this a rule, and who made this rule? I know, because this goes against everything the Greeks actually believed. Like, literally, it was so much a convention of Greek storytelling yeah. that the Greeks would, or that the gods would appear and magically fix everything, that it's the term deus ex machina. Exactly. And at a certain point, nobody, no gods in this movie are happy about the rule, but they still have to follow it or something. Yeah, like they'll blank out of existence if they don't. But then they, I mean, they break the rules and Zeus is the only person who does anything about it. So it really seems like his dumb rule. Yeah, it completely goes against classic Greek storytelling. Yeah. And, uh, it's like the whole thing about gods. And it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And in fact, the gods cre frequently create more problems for our hero to overcome. Exactly. Because they're the worst. Talk to Odysseus. He, he would have a thing or two to say about that. Oh, oh. Zeus says that Zeus and Athena, but they both agree, Theseus is their best hope for getting rid of Hyperion, who the gods are desperate to stop. Lysander goes to Hyperion's camp, where we get to see people getting tortured and soldiers preparing for war. Yay! Hyperion's camp is basically uh, a huge part of this this movie having an R rating. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, is. and there's some stuff in here that made me feel gross and uncomfortable. Agreed. Yeah. Everything that he did was bad. Lysander is taken to Hyperion, who doesn't like traitors very much, as it turns out, even when they're helping him. He's <laughs> actually questioning one of the monks who was at the Oracle's temple. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the thing. I gleaned later on in the movie that this was the... I think they called it a monastery, where the Oracle was kept. Yes, I was not aware of that at the time. <laughs> I just thought this was like his war camp. But I guess he set up his war camp where the Oracle was. This is going to make it very confusing later on when he interacts with the Oracle. Yeah. But so he's questioning one of the monks and the monk cuts out his own tongue to avoid the questioning. But Ugh. Hyperion said, I know it was gross, but Hyperion says the beast can still get answers out of him and he's dragged away. No, he can't. 
I mean, I guess if he's literate, you could make them him write it down. But like, if you're already willing to go to that length, just stab yourself. Well, they said that. Oh, he can't kill. The himself, Order of right? Monks says that they can't kill themselves, and that's why he cuts his tongue out. Okay, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, the beast being like, oh, the beast can still make him talk. And I'm like, no, I can't. Yeah, I know. Not in a way anyone can legibly understand. Yeah, and it's actually kind of true that they don't seem to get any information out of him. Yeah, that's never got never goes anywhere because we don't later see them with the information they wanted. And he's like, oh, I had to. I know. It's just so we can see him being awful. Yeah. Which is fine. I already believed he was gross. I mean... Do you think, was that like some actor busy work on the monk's part? Cut his tongue out? What if I cut my tongue out right here? Probably. Do you think that would go with the scene? Yeah. (laughs) It was really difficult to get insurance to cover it, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Lysander's freaked out by this, which is probably a good instinct, because Hyperion then has him disfigured and unmanned, shall we say. Yeah. It's funny. To rid the world of future cowards. Yeah, that's how that works. (laughs) Uh... The next day, Hyperion's army attacks Theseus's town before he, his mother, and the other peasants, or just peasants, again, not sure if they're peasants or not, <laughs> have had a chance to evacuate. Theseus's mother is killed in front of him by Hyperion himself. I mean, my goodness. I mean, I dedication like, to the cause. Yeah, because I feel like he sees Theseus trying to save his mother, and he's like, hold on, <laughs> I'll take this one, and then spears her right in front of him, and then is like, eh, did you see that? Was that, so, I don't know, do you know her? It seemed like you did. I hope so. <laughs> What's also impressive is that Theseus knows that that was King Hyperion and not just, like, a general. Well, he is, I don't know, is he wearing his helmet at this he point? He is wearing his helmet, but how would he, unless this is just common knowledge that Hyperion's helmet has horns and, like, a bunch of teeth on it's it. It's the dumbest helmet I've ever seen. <laughs> I didn't so, love it. I was like, for as visually awesome as this movie was, I didn't love the helmet. Well, it's a crab claw on top and a <laughs> lamprey mouth in front. So, it just picture that. It's really dumb. So, then Hyperion has Theseus dragged off to the salt mines, which are super nearby, I guess. I guess so. Um, this I, place has it all. Fishing village, oracles, salt mines. salt mines, war camps. It's Yeah, that's weird. Also, it seems weird to me that there would be salt mines there, but maybe there are. That close to the sea? That seems weird. It seems to me that if you're that close to the sea, why wouldn't you make salt by boiling down seawater rather than mining it? It seems much easier to make it out of seawater. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not, it's not like, that easy, but it's not as hard as mining anything. Yeah. <laughs> this is also, before this happens, he's, like, looking around at his town, and I think this is where we see the tree, and he does, like, flashbacks, like, I was hitting this tree and learning from John Hurt. It's hilarious because those marks on the tree were very recent. Because <laughs> they're only light if they're new. Mm. And I get it. I get that you wouldn't have been able to see them if they were dark. But I thought that was really funny. Maybe he had recently practiced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On like a four foot tall tree. Yep. Meanwhile, up on Olympus, the other gods want to intervene. By the way, where are all the other gods? There's only four. There are six total Greek gods in this movie. Okay. And the problem is, like, I can name, like, off the top of my head, like, six other gods. That's oh, not, yeah. That's just the ones that I can name off the top of my head. So it oh, felt yeah. very sparse up there on Olympus. I know. They didn't even have, what's his name? The god of the underworld. Hades? Yeah. Yeah, I know. He's one of the three super central gods, him, Poseidon, and Zeus, who were all brothers. 
It is also actually, now I'm thinking about it, a little weird for one thing that Hercules is just listed as a god, but also that he's the one that forged the bow and not Hephaestus. Hephaestus was the god of fire and metalworking. He was Vulcan in the Roman gods. Oh, okay. And he had a forge in a volcano. So he's typically the guy that made all the weapons. Yeah. So, but again, they just cut back on the gods, and I don't really know why. Anyway, up on Olympus, they say that they would like to intervene on Earth again. And Zeus says they have to have faith in the humans, like the humans have faith in them. Seems like That's dumb. Because if the gods aren't going to interfere and do anything, why should the humans have faith in them? Yeah, I know. Just that you exist and are up there? Like, that's dumb. I'm not going to a temple for that. Well, and it seems like... Yeah, I don't get that. Because the way that he's saying have faith means they'll do what they need to do. But why would they ever have that kind of faith in gods if you're not doing anything for them? Right. And, like, they know that you exist. So, so like, it's not, like, have faith because a bunch of people don't know we exist, although apparently <laughs> that's the case here. Yeah. So it's, yeah, anyway. So Zeus says they can't do anything. They have to wait until the Titans are released before they intervene. This really feels like there's some sort of cosmic law, like... Like, some god above all of them that's somehow enforcing this rule. I mean, yeah. Zeus really makes it seem like they cannot do something oh, until the Titans are released, and that's not true at all. Yeah, he's very serious about so it's it. It's a completely arbitrary decision. Yeah. At the salt mines, the Oracle and her entourage show up for some reason. This is when I realized that the salt mines are literally right next to the monastery. <laughs> that's right. I, I never really understood, like, how are they right... What's happening? Also, why are the Oracle and her handmaidens sharing a pool, a drinking pool... Yeah, with these, With the slaves from the salt mines. Yeah, with these dirty peasants. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, they only take breaks in threes. <laughs> yeah, So, exactly. uh, we're not overwhelmed by slaves here. Yeah. But, because it's a super clean, nice-looking pool. I mean, oh, this I is, again, a beautiful shot with the white sand and yeah. this beautiful pool with the golden light. Very pretty. But, doesn't make any sense. Because I'm also like, I don't understand why the oracles are allowed to wander around on their own. Yeah, that was weird. Wouldn't water be brought to them? Yeah, no, you would think. Especially now that they're prisoners of war. Yeah, because they're being, like, covered. They have, they're covered in, like fancy crazy costumes and stuff so that no one will look on them because it's a virgin oracle you know right and they say that if her if she ever is not a virgin then her powers won't work anymore and i love steven dorf but he needs to put a shirt on he looks like he walked right out of this depression he will not he refuses <laughs> he will not he also then makes a comment about like oh i'd like to get under those robes or something like that how much of a horn dog do you have to be to look at someone who's totally tented up except their eyes and then, yeah. like, make a comment about it? It's like they started shooting and they were like, oh, we forgot to give Steven Dorff a personality. Yeah, and in fact, he has so little personality and importance that he basically never comes up in my outline. No, there's no reason I didn't should. even write his name down. Yeah, I don't know his name. Yeah. The Oracle accidentally touches Theseus and gets a vision of Theseus holding the Epirus bow with an arm around Hyperion and standing above a body wrapped in a shroud. As a large wave rises up, the vision ends and she tells Theseus, 
when cloudless skies thunder, stand fast. <laughs> Theseus is like passed out against the wall. He is not absorbing this information. But whatever. The oracle drinks from the pool in a way that will get her absolutely no water. Like <laughs> she takes, she scoops it up with one hand. Oh no. And then puts it vertically to her face <laughs> and acts like she's drinking out of it. Anyone who's tried drinking out of their hands knows that it would all run down your arm. Yeah. But apparently she gets enough water in her mouth, somehow, that she goes over to Theseus and, like... Baby birds it in. <laughs> yes. Yep. I'm like, no. No. You would not have enough water in your mouth <laughs> to do that. No. Uh, and then the guards all of a sudden are like, hey, no, no, stop consorting with these slaves. I'm like, yeah. man, she was allowed a lot of, of leeway. Well, we have a problem now that it looks like you're making out. <laughs> so, oh. And then she tells the slaves next to her, like Stephen Dorff, you know, the other yeah. slaves, that they must all escape tonight. And they're super on board with it. There's no plan or anything, but they're <laughs> they're into it. And even though they're like, yeah, he's not going to make it. That guy up there, over there, he's like, he has to come. We're like, no, no, he's not going to make it. He's not even drinking water at this point. Yeah. Uh, he's going to die. But. Which is so funny because he was the fittest one. Also probably the most recent one. But it made me think that maybe he was actually dying of sadness and not Aww. exhaustion. Because of, of his dead mother. That night, the women lead the breakout, kind of. I mean, they don't really, like, lead it in the sense that they go break the slaves out. They just attack some guards on their own. Yeah. And then we basically see nothing else of the escape, which makes me feel like there was a scene that was missing. Yeah. Because we don't ever see the actual slaves break out. We see them attack the guards, and then we cut... To the Oracle, Theseus, and a couple of the other slaves standing around a fire on the edge of what must be the evacuated town. I have no idea where they are. I don't know how they got there. I know. Or how hard it was to get there. It seems like it was really easy. They're just kind of standing around a fire. Yeah. Like, let's toast some marshmallows here. (laughs) It seems fine. Also, the Oracle's the only woman there. She does not seem concerned by that fact. Bunch of uh, shirtless, gross uh, salt miners. I'm not by the fact that her three handmaidens aren't there. Oh, yeah. As we'll later no. see, uh, they did not escape, and she does not seem at all upset or bothered by that, no. even though it would have just happened. Yeah, she's fine. This was such a weird cut. It was so weird that we didn't see the breakout, and then their reactions after the fact are so weird. It makes <laughs> me feel like a day passed that we just didn't see. <laughs> yeah. What is important is that Theseus understands how hard it is to be an oracle. Uh-huh. All these visions that you can't do anything to change. So romantic. <laughs> They talk a bit about how Theseus doesn't believe in the gods and Faith doesn't do any good because the gods didn't help his mother when she was killed. Phaedra says, So we both mourn, you for what has passed, and I for what is to come. How about your three friends you left behind? You gonna mourn for them? That already passed. No, that's that's living in the past. She's she's all about the future. How about the people that have already died? There's so many things that you could mourn for that have already happened. You're listing so many things that were in the past, Rose. <laughs> I feel like you didn't hear what she said. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, because her friends are not faring well. We cut to them in Hyperion's camp, and they have been beaten, and they're bloody. When we see Hyperion... Hyperion questioning them on the location of the Epirus bow. Not sure why he waited until now to come talk to him. 
he seemed like he was very interested in talking to them when we saw him kill that priest. And yet, apparently, he just figured out where they were, had his soldiers take them captive, you know, walk them around to the pools, take some drinks with the salt mines, which means that he had to attack the town, have Theseus work in the slave in the salt mines as a slave. And then they have a chance to break out all before he got around to talking to the Oracle about his end goal of the Epirus bow. He had a lot of gross food to eat and he was busy castrating people. He was busy questioning a monk before he even talked to the Oracles. Yeah. What was the game plan here, buddy? We've talked about this. His plan does not make a lot of sense. Yeah, I just really feel like you were slacking. It made it feel like they were in different locations, but they weren't, as we later see. He asks which of them is the true oracle, and they all say that they're it. And then he this says... This is the first time in history anyone had ever thought of that. I know. It would later get a lot of a lot of airtime. Yeah. Then he says, if I'm forced to sort you out by other means, you'll experience discomfort unique to your gender. I just need to talk about this line for a second and how little sense it makes. Yeah. So presumably he's referring to the fact that the oracle is a virgin. Right. And everyone knows what unique to your gender means. Right. So this means... If he's planning on just, like, physically checking to see if they're virgins, I would assume that all of them were. There was no reason for the other ones to not be virgins. But if he's planning on raping them to see if they're... Which is what's implied. Yeah. But I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. And maybe (laughs) he's just going to physically inspect them. But if he, like he implies, is planning on raping them, that is counterproductive. Because you need the oracle to be a virgin... To predict the future. So what is the point in raping them? Hyperion, what is the deal? Neither one of these plans makes sense, and he doesn't follow through on either of these threats, so it doesn't matter. And can I point out that it is not specific to one gender? Well, no, but... As a Greek, I would have thought you'd know that. So it is a weird... I know they're just making it to show like how awful he is, but I'm just yeah. like, somebody did not think through this threat. It makes literally no sense. Yeah. Any way you look at it. You could have said that about almost every single thing that happens in this movie. <laughs> Somebody did not think this through. Yeah. Uh, the guard lets it out that one of them has escaped, which surprises him. Did you not know there were four women, Hyperion? Again, I'm starting to feel like the oracle so isn't weird. very important to you. Well, also, like, the soldiers, like, he didn't ask the soldiers. He was yeah. just like, are they in here? Good. <laughs> no. I don't want any like, information. Like, hey, one of them escaped. I was like, how was this not the first thing you said? Because... Then he, Hyperion sends someone out after the one who escaped, which seems like the first order that, like, the guard would have issued. Like, this is, this should have already been dealt with. Yeah. We're done with this for a while. Back to Theseus, Phaedra, and the other escaped slaves who plan to commandeer a merchant ship that's sailing up. So also one of the escaped slaves, so it's Stephen Dorff. Stephen Dorff is also wearing a harness around his shoulders, just like a, a few straps. Mm-hmm. It looks like it should be like a holster. It is not. It literally serves absolutely no purpose other than to say he's wearing something. <laughs> I was like, there's a costume designer that needs to answer some very hard <laughs> questions for me. They were like, look. If you had to work on this movie, what would you do? (laughs) With five men, they attack the sailors, only to discover that it's not actually a merchant ship when the men draw swords that are clearly visible at their waist. (laughs) (laughs) 
Possibly also it's like when a swarm of men comes from under the ship, which is not a very big ship. I do not. They were just must have been stacked in there like sardines just in case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But again, I was like, all of these men are clearly wearing swords. You should have expected some fighting. We kind of thought they would just get off the ship and uh, let us have it. Yeah. It was also at this point that I realized why would they assume that a merchant ship was going to land at an empty town that had recently been sacked by an army. I feel like you could see that. Yeah. Also, all of them were wearing were wearing the masks that Hyperion soldiers wear. So again, I feel like that should have been a bit of a clue. Well, these are mask suppliers. <laughs> so <laughs> they have to test out the merch. You can't sell Hyperion defective wares. True. So they're overwhelmed by the soldiers that run out from the lower deck. <clears throat> Poseidon, Ares, and Athena have been watching from Mount Olympus. They decide to intervene. Poseidon calls up a huge wave, like the one from Phaedra's vision. The ship is smashed against the cliff, but somehow our heroes all survive and wind up together on shore... In another scene, we're not shown. Yeah. No, there's cut to them being fine. But aren't they covered in oil? Is that what they're covered in? I thought maybe it was tar. I wasn't sure. But let me tell you, it rinses off very easily That's under the little shower. exactly what I wrote down. I was like, is, uh, oil's very easy to get off or whatever. Well, because I thought it was tar and I had the same problem. It is not easy to get yeah, off. I know. And if it's blood, it's too dark, and I don't know why there's so much of it. And they're all absolutely covered in it. I was very confused about what this was. But it does easily rinse off, and it also doesn't stain any of their actual clothes. No, it doesn't. That's so weird. When Theseus asks Phaedra how she knew about the wave, she tells him the rest of the vision. Theseus says he would never embrace Hyperion because he killed his mother. And Phaedra deduces that the body in the shroud must be Theseus's mother. Because of all of the dead people, it has to be that person. (laughs) They head back to his hometown to give her proper burial. Theseus says that she doesn't need a burial because he doesn't believe in the gods. Which is dumb because even atheists show respect for their loved ones' dead bodies. Yeah, also, you know that's what your mom would have wanted. She was devout. That was her point. But for me, I'm like, even if you don't believe it, like, you're acting like if people don't believe in God, they just throw the bodies out in the streets for animals to eat. Like, that's not the way people treat dead their dead loved ones. Yeah. Whether they believe in God or not, you always, if you have an opportunity... Yeah. Especially for someone where literally the mom, your mom is the only person in your life. She's the person you loved more than anyone else. Uh, why wouldn't you want to go? And you're not really invested in this war. Why wouldn't you want to go back if given the opportunity and bury your mother? Mm-hmm. It's super weird that he's like, I don't have to do that. I don't believe in gods. It's so funny. Back in Hyperion's camp, some soldiers report that they found the Oracle, but then lost them when a storm swept their men to sea. How did they get back so quickly? How did they survive? <laughs> They're strong swimmers. We don't know. We do not know. Also, I just realized that if they got there by ship, it kind of implies that Theseus and the other slaves escaped on a ship, which then is no longer there. Unless they just walked for a super long way and we're just like doing some time cuts here. That doesn't seem as likely. Based on what happens to the Oracle's handmaids, it doesn't seem like they had a month to wander around. No, it does not. So if they escaped by ship, again, it would have been helpful to see the escape. Yeah. Because if those people got there by sea, it would only make sense if the other people escaped by sea. Yeah. 
and then maybe their ship was destroyed. Well, I don't know. No. This is all very... You're trying to put a lot of sense into this... <laughs> this plot that just doesn't need any. They somehow deduce that the group is heading to Theseus's hometown. I don't I don't know how. But they just do. It's obvious to everyone, I guess. Right. Hyperion sends the beast after them. He says his army is going to Tartarus, but instructs one of his men to set up an ambush in the camp after they go. Which really takes away the element of the surprise for the viewer later on. Yeah, I know. But whatever. That was the choice they made. <laughs> We cut to Theseus burying his mother, not really burying, but he puts her in the catacombs, which is in the labyrinth under their town. I don't understand why there's a labyrinth. I mean, is this like a famous Greek thing that I just have never heard of, is that everyone has a labyrinth under their town? No, it was just because of the beast. I know it's, yeah. So I do know the reason they're doing it is because right. the beast is not, in fact, a minotaur, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But he wears a helmet that with the that looks like a bull's head. Yeah. So he's clearly an allusion to the Minotaur. Yeah. So that's why they want a labyrinth. Which I'd be like was so cool if everyone had like a labyrinth built under their town as a place to like pray and stuff. Like I that would know. be awesome. But that's I know, but instead you're like, why is this such an elaborate thing in such a small town? I know, with all these catacombs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Theseus shoves the stone slab his mother's on into the niche, and he sees something sticking out of a nearby rock formation. And by nearby, I mean it is, like, attached to the niche. Like, he, it's kind of implied that he's having trouble shoving the stone slab in because of this rock formation, which can't <laughs> possibly be true because the stone slab, as he's trying to shove it in, is clearly already shoved in. Right. But he becomes very interested in this rock formation for some reason. <laughs> Instead of being like, that's weird, and leaving like a normal right. person, he's like, I think there's something back there that I can't quite see. Let's figure out what it is. I must have to break open this rock formation right here with a chisel. Which is a weird thing to do also. It was his go-to. Thankfully, it was super easy to do. It was very easy. Because there's a hollowed out center where the Everest bow is. Don't tell me this was lost. This was clearly deliberately placed there by a god at some point. I know. It's, it's a hollowed out rock. Mr. Don't meddle in human affairs. Yeah, because, well, and Zeus even is like, what if they find the bow? And I'm like, well, how could they not? It's right there. Do you really not know where it is? You also put it, like, right next to that kid that you're mentoring to fight the Titans. I refuse to believe that this is supposed to be a coincidence the gods didn't know about. Although the gods never implied that they knew where it was. I know. Theseus marvels at the bow, and when he pulls back the string, an arrow of light forms, but then he's interrupted by a weapon flying at him. Then there's a huge gap of time where he <laughs> has plenty of time to hide before the beast attacks him. For a fighter that's clearly depending on Braun to win the fight, I don't know why he would announce his presence so far in advance. Yeah, I know. Well, also, okay, does the arrow get knocked out of his hands or something? I don't think it did. I think he just didn't use it. I think he just didn't use it like a dummy. Or maybe it did. Okay, here's another problem with this movie is sometimes it's hard for me to remember what happened or even to have seen clearly what happened because a lot <laughs> of it was very dark. Yeah, it was. So in those times, it was a bit difficult to see the details, especially since I didn't super care what was happening. Yeah. Uh, the Beast, as we said, he has a helmet that looks like a bull's head, so he's the Minotaur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is killed by Theseus without the help of his newfound magical bow. Yeah, he didn't need it. Which is weird, because the beast was supposed to be super big and tough. 
you know, four guys, one minotaur. He can do it all. Yeah. Yeah. When Theseus comes out of the cave after his victory, it's to discover his friends being held at sword point by Hyperion's men, and he uses the arrow then to shoot four arrows and kill them all. This guy has incredible aim. He does. Maybe it's uh, like an assist from the bow also. Then he falls to his knees. This is something I had to rewind a couple times to see because we we really just cut to Phaedra cleaning Theseus's wounds in some like abandoned house. Yeah. And I was like, what happened? I had to rewind. I finally figured out him falling to his knees in what looks like I'm just tired. I'm going to sit down for a while after that fight is yeah. actually him passing out mm-hmm. because he was poisoned by the Minotaur. Seems like overkill to also poison the Minotaur's edges. Yeah. Whatever works. So Theseus now admits he believes in the gods. I'm not exactly sure why. Like, the existence of the Epirus bow doesn't seem like it would on its own prove that there were gods. It would just seem like there was a crazy bow out there. Yeah. I mean, you already believe in an oracle who can predict the future. Why not a weird light bow? It's also a little bit unclear as to why he cares about the gods it seems to me that he would feel about the based on his previous attitude it seems to me he would feel about the gods the same way hyperion felt about the gods like yeah, yeah there's gods so what they didn't help my mom her whole life her this whole is awful even life. worse yeah <laughs> yeah um and actually this is never addressed he believes in the gods and he's super cool fighting for them for the rest of the movie but his problem was never the fact that he couldn't find intellectual reasons to believe in the gods is that he is emotionally angry at the gods and therefore decided they didn't exist. Yeah. And those emotions are never addressed by the gods. No. Or Or even himself. But I mean, he's never has a conversation with Zeus about like, why was my mother treated so terribly for so many years and no one did anything about it? Like like you when you were there all the time. Exactly. Which he actually never, never knows. But... Also, Phaedra's sick of being an oracle, so basically with no prompting, she gets into Theseus's bed and they start rolling around. Like, Theseus was not just poisoned. I know, right? Was his healing. Yeah, and also, thankfully, we never need another oracle vision because not a virgin anymore. <laughs> uh, which is weird because she made this choice, but it doesn't actually affect the plot because we never needed another vision. That- it would have been nice if her choice had somehow been something she maybe had a chance to regret because they could have used that help later on. Yeah, I think that's what I meant when I said that it didn't ever come up. Like, this whole, like, well, if she's not a virgin, then then all the the visions are tainted. It's like, well, it doesn't... never matters. Yeah. They never need another vision. No. The next day, Theseus and company head off to the monastery, the Oracle's monastery. At Tartarus... The city of Tartarus, which we haven't been to yet. New location. Lysander tells Hyperion that the Hellenics, who they've been referring, the Greeks, they refer to as the Hellenics, and Hyperion's men, they refer to as something else. I think it's because they're all Greeks, so they're having to make a different a differentiation. But they believe that the Titans are buried in the mountain, but it's blocked. But the city is blocked by an impenetrable gate. <laughs> Also, I like that now that they show up, Lysander's like, oh, yeah, no, the Titans are under that mountain. And I'm like, surely he knew that when he made Tartarus' end goal, right? I mean, whatever. He had to have. After that brief interlude, Theseus and friends show up at the monastery and are surprised to find that it has been abandoned. This is when it is made abundantly clear that this was Hyperion's work camp. He set up at the monastery. Mm Mm-hmm. Phaedra says they should continue on straight on to Tartarus, which I guess does mean that they were just there for Hyperion. Yeah. Showing 
a remarkable lack of concern for all the people she left behind. Because it wouldn't just be her three handmaids. It would also be, like, you know, the monk that got his tongue cut off. Oh, cut yeah. Out and stuff. Like, all of those Everybody people. Everybody who lived there. Yeah. But then someone hears something, so they go down to investigate. They find the Oracle's companions who were tortured and survived just long enough that we know they never broke. And that Phaedra can cry over them. I was very impressed by the precise nature of this torture that they <laughs> lived just long enough so that she could find them. I, he really timed it well. Yeah. And also, it doesn't really matter that they never broke because, again, she's no longer useful as an oracle and he never really puts up that much of a fight to find her again. Yeah, no, she, he, he doesn't a- care anymore. After this, he loses interest in her completely. So yeah. all of this chasing after her and interest in her, like, this never really pans out as to anything that's a long-term goal for him. But now, they're attacked by the ambush that was left behind. And Theseus drops the Epirus bow, which is immediately taken by a dog-jackal thing? Yeah. And it runs off. It is dog-like, but it does not seem like a dog or a wolf. <laughs> so maybe a jackal? Maybe. I don't know where jackals live. Egypt. Yeah, that's not Greece. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter. They're outnumbered by the by Hyperion's men, but before the fighting even really starts, Ares shows up and kills Hyperion's men. Problem solved. Thank you. Then Athena shows up with horses for them. They tell them to go to Tartarus immediately, that Hyperius will soon have the bow, which the dog jackal is bringing to them. <laughs> which really makes me wonder, if they're going to flagrantly interfere with what's going on right now, why not just return the bow to Theseus? I know! Or just, like, go kill Hyperion. And I think that they don't kill Hyperion because they don't want Zeus to find out that they're interfering. Right. But Zeus theoretically wouldn't know that if they just returned the, the Epirus bow. Yeah. He, they still wouldn't know. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Also, it doesn't work. Uh, Zeus totally finds out. He shows up, like, almost right away, angry as all get out, and kills Ares for the punishment for helping the mortals, which seems a little extreme to me. Like, you guys are low on numbers, and you have a fight with the Titans coming up. Maybe don't kill the god of war. I know! It's crazy. You're taking this rule very seriously. I mean, to kill a god in punishment for interfering once yeah, you know in a very important thing, that that seems disproportionate. Especially since you guys didn't kill all the titans, you just locked them up. I was just about to say, remember what yeah. the titan's punishment was? Not death. Yeah. Zeus shouts a bit at Theseus, like he was the one that asked for help. He yeah. did not at all. <laughs> and then he says everything's up to him and sends him off. I guess on Athena's horses, though, because they do ride horses to Tartarus. Yeah, probably. At Hyperion's camp, the dog jackal delivers the bow to Hyperion. He talks to one of his men who can see through bird's eyes or maybe it's just, like, like read the bird's mind. I thought I thought it was like this, because they showed a hawk before, and I was like, is that his messenger? And then this guy was, like, saying what the bird saw. So I guess he's just connected to this hawk, maybe? Well, yeah, but it does seem to have to be in close enough proximity, because the hawk lands on his arm, and then he's, yeah. like, talking to her, like, reading its mind, or I don't know what. Yeah. Anyway. He tells Hyperion that the gods personally came to Theseus's aid, something that would be hard on morale for the army. So Hyperion kills that guy to prevent the information from spreading. Yeah, I, I was like, did you just very short-sightedly kill the guy who talks to birds? Well, and also when I say killed that guy, what he really did was poke his eyes out, but maybe he did it in such a way that he also killed him? 
Because I don't think blinding him would make people not believe what you told him. <laughs> I know. He couldn't possibly have seen this. Yeah. Look, he's very recently blind. <laughs> Again, a weird, a very gruesome choice, but also one that didn't make tons of sense. Hyperion questions Lysander on Theseus, who he's now very interested in, and is told that he was a peasant like Hyperion, and was outcast because he was a product of rape. So now we know what happened to his mom makes everyone hate him so much. You know what I want to know is what was his mom wearing? <laughs> really Probably gonna, one of those short togas. Oh, you know? see, that's really going to determine this for me. Yeah. She was apparently raped by a group of villagers. It's so unspecified. It's just a group of villagers. And I'm like, that seems weird. Yeah. Seems weird that they would have been okay with that. Yeah, like, not like a group of bandits or something. I don't know. I, know. I just feel like there was a different way to phrase that. Yeah. Because uh, it really feels like no one else can. I'm like, did they do it for a reason? Or were they just drunk one night? It's they pretty never clear get into that it. they wanted her to have this sob story and Theseus to have this sad background, but they didn't want to deal with it at all. They were yeah. like, what's the most hackneyed <laughs> sad story a woman can have? Here you go. Yeah. Theseus and friends arrive at Tartarus, where there's no army, to only the wall to protect them. I mean, there is actually an army, it's just very small. Yeah. He gets an audience with the council, like, very easily, and tells them Hyperion has the Epirus bow, but they're also a bunch of atheists. Yep. I guess atheists who don't believe in oracles. Classic everyone in Greece. Right. They insist it's all a bunch of children's stories. And they're just metaphors. And I'm like, this is not what the Greeks believed. No. Paganism, like, actual, like, believing pagans existed well into the ADs. I don't know what you would call it. But, like, yeah. Into the hundreds, there were believing pagans. I don't know why now, all of a sudden, all of these learned uh, pagans are all atheists. I know. Um, At this rate, I'm surprised the gods are uh, upset with King Hyperion. He seems to be their one believer. I know. Get that guy on your side. Yeah. Theseus tells them, and really it's just one. There's one counselor that we ever see. Uh, So just him. Tells him they'll have to seal the gates and prepare for war. But he thinks that other people might be coming to the city for refuge. So he doesn't want to seal the gates yet. Uh Hyperion's army is camped outside your walls how do you think those people are gonna get there yeah that's a good question whatever we just need him to be a jerk they also dismiss the oracle as a palm reader as though she hasn't been giving super accurate prophecies this whole time yeah i know when they're told hyperion has sent an envoy they're convinced he doesn't really want war just to bargain he showed up with what are you gonna give him what are you gonna give him at this point that he couldn't just take from you i know you have no army Yeah, and you don't even know what he wants. Yeah. He's never asked for anything. You don't even know why this war started. Right. He just went on on the warpath. And back then, like, conquering people for territory or slaves or whatever wasn't super uncommon. No. So why wouldn't you assume that that was the case unless you knew otherwise? Yeah. The envoy insists on seeing Theseus, though, which you think would make the council think twice about what he was trying to tell them. It doesn't. They're just like, okay, get on down there, buddy. (laughs) Theseus asks the envoys about the masks, and the envoy says that they are all equal in Hyperion's eyes. So you don't use, like, names either or have, like, positions in the army like that? No, he also only shows people who look the same. Yeah, or, like, have the same height. Right. uh, 
I mean, whatever. Like, I guess if it's symbolic, that's fine. But don't act like that really explains anything. I know. Maybe she doesn't want, want to look at everyone's ugly faces. Well, also, people say that to... People write things like that to, like, oh, this will sound deep. And you're like, no, it doesn't make any sense. It's like on the cartoon Gargoyles. Yeah. When they were like, you humans, you you insist on naming everything. And I was like, <laughs> okay, but how do you talk about things? Yeah. If you don't name anything, like, how do you talk about which hill you're going to? <laughs> like, which gargoyle you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and what would make sense is if they didn't have titles, because everyone was equal in the right. sight of Hyperion. Whatever. Yeah. Not Envoy says Hyperion knows a lot about Theseus, and Theseus asks if he knows about his rage, and that he killed his mother, and he says he does now. What? It's Hyperion himself. Oh, in disguise. We never guessed it. I know, right? We did. We knew it the whole time. <laughs> Hyperion wants Theseus to join him. Not exactly sure why. He just heard about this guy, I guess, because the gods are fighting on his side. But if the gods are fighting on his side, why would he want to join you in freeing the Titans? He offers him nothing. Uh, yeah, except like, oh, I killed your mom. Cool. Yeah, well, yeah, he's like, oh, you get a place at my table. And I'm like, yeah, but he's got the gods fighting on his side. Why wouldn't you think that he had a table? And he just said that he's super mad at you for something that you can't change. Yeah, so you need to change your game plan, Hyperion. It's <laughs> not going to work. He refuses. Yeah, Hyperion says that he offers him immortality. And Theseus says deeds are eternal, not flesh. So, now I guess we're supposed to assume that Hyperion was talking about progeny? He does say the sun will never set on my blood, but I thought he was also talking about deeds, because he says long after this war is over, my name will be remembered. And your name isn't necessarily, rem especially for the Greeks, your name isn't remembered through your progeny. They didn't have no. last names. No. It was just you. So it was only your deeds yeah. that you were remembered by, so the progeny bit never makes sense. Although no. they do talk a lot. Make it seem like Hyperion was knocking up every lady he could I and know. killing off the other ones, but that also isn't true. Mm-mm. Really what it is is he was just killing any pregnant Hellenic woman he could find, but that wouldn't mean that his progeny was everywhere. No. We're given no evidence that he's been knocking ladies up. I actually thought at one point that they were going to show that, like, oh, Hyperion was the one that raped his mother and he oh, was his father, yeah. but that didn't turn out to be true either. Yeah. That would have been So again, something. this conversation <laughs> makes almost no sense, and all this talk about immortality is will make even less sense soon. We've yeah. already been told that men are immortal. All men are immortal. That was the opening quote. All men are immortal. But they keep talking <laughs> about gaining immortality, but I'm like, we've already been told you're all immortal. What it says is, but the righteous will be immortal and divine. Nobody's talking about divinity. You're all just talking about immortality. Yeah. Not even in a real sense. Or even really... Nah. Right, really, yeah. Just in a metaphorical sense. Like, you yeah. will be remembered. Yeah. Anyway. Theseus storms off and seals the gates. That night, Theseus doubts himself, as is required for modern heroes. Thank you. But Phaedra believes in him. Everyone gets ready for the next day, which, for one of Theseus's traveling companions, means putting armor on without a shirt underneath it. Ouch. Was it Stephen George? <laughs> of course it was. Oh, Stephen. <laughs> the next day, Hyperion destroys the gate by firing the, Epis the Epirus bow at it. It's super easy. Yeah, I guess that arrow is, like, whatever you want it to be. <laughs> it does seem to be, because in the other one, it just killed the guys easily and didn't cause any more damage. But in this yeah. time, it destroyed the entire gate. Yeah. It caused a bit of an earthquake. 
That is a good point. I hadn't actually thought about that. Yep. The Hellenics don't like this at all, but Theseus gives them a rousing speech, so they gamely try and hold off Hyperion's flood of troops in this tunnel that is attached to the gate and there's a tunnel they're fighting in the tunnel that's all that's important he he tells him like something about numbers and like we've got numbers and i was like i think it's less about numbers than about the bow they have that shoots missiles hyperion just walks straight up to the council chambers somehow like he we see him kind of walking around a little bit but like in tunnels that are abandoned (laughs) There's, there's like maybe one person that's kind of dying that he finishes off but otherwise totally clear yeah and he makes it to the council chambers very easily and kills the counselor when he tries to negotiate. Man, that idiot, right? Oh, what a dummy. Yeah. Then he fires a hole into something that I guess is the temple that's up there. I don't, I didn't, like, I didn't get any of yeah, this. Yeah, he's firing a hole into something to get to the Titans. That's yeah. fine. They end up where the Titans are. Right. Theseus, yeah. Theseus, hearing the rumble in the tunnel, assumes that this must be at the shrine. So he runs up to follow Hyperion into the mountain, where we see the opening image of the movie. The one with the foosball guys. Yes. The Titans are released, and the gods come down to fight them. Finally, right? Finally, they can do something. If they were just going to kill them all in battle, why did they have to wait until Hyperion released them from their prison? Were they somehow unable? Like, once you realize somebody's trying to free the Titans, why don't you just Go pop on down to where they're caged, kill them all? Yeah. Was this some sort of magical prison that you guys couldn't get into? Yeah, I have no idea. And also, why wouldn't... I don't understand. I don't understand it. Why wouldn't you guys be able to kill Hyperion? He's attacking you. Doesn't that make it your situation it does seem to be the case that the gods feel that they can only interfere in things that are not directly mortal like not mortal men so like the mortals have free will that the gods feel that they can't interfere with at all does not sound like greek god (laughs) but the titans are also like immortal the way the gods are and therefore unequal to mortals so they can fight them for some reason but again like i said they could have negated this whole thing by just killing the titans in prison as soon as they realized that hyperion was going to try and release them yeah, I mean, I feel like if Zeus from stories could have forced people to do whatever he wanted, he definitely would. <laughs> that, but the other thing is, why go through this rigmarole and be like, only you can stop them, Theseus, when you were planning on fight? Like, they keep saying, we can't do anything until the Titans are released. They seem confident that the Titans <laughs> will be released. Like, Theseus is not going to stop Hyperion from fighting, from releasing the Titans. So why not just kill them if the goal isn't to stop that from happening? Yeah. And you know what? He didn't. No, he did not. So now there's the three different fights. There's the fight in the tunnel. There's Hyperion fighting Theseus. And uh, the gods fighting the Titans. Yes. The gods sustain heavy losses. Again, maybe why you shouldn't have killed Ares when you did. And maybe why it would be better if there were more than six Greek gods somehow. Because there are 16 (laughs) Titans. Exactly. Zeus decides, like, when it's only him and I think Athena left, he decides that the only way to win is by collapsing the mountains on top of them, which he does. The armies scatter, and Theseus and Hyperion are both buried under the rocks after one final exchange. What does it feel like knowing... knowing that there'll be no memory of you? I have one. 
Like that will make me a legend. My deeds will go down in history. I'm writing your history. Hyperion will also be remembered through Theseus, though. Yeah. I mean, like, if an evil king is starting all this up, like, we're going to have his name. Oh, yeah. So Hyperion will be gaining immortality in the same way Theseus will. And I don't think Hyperius will mind being remembered as some super evil guy. No. So it's not like Theseus is the only one gaining immortality through people's memories here. No. No, this is a, the same story. Yeah. And again... Everyone, we've already been told, all humans are immortal. It's the divinity bit, which no one ever talks about or seems to realize is on the table. Yeah, exactly. So why did we open with that quote? And why are we going to close with it? Who knows? (laughs) We see Zeus and Athena, the two last gods, shooting up into heaven. And just before he's buried, Theseus is also taken up. So he gets his divinity after all. Oh, there he goes. Just like Hercules. Yep. We get a continuation of the opening voiceover. All men's souls are immortal. But the souls of the righteous are immortal and divine. Once a faithless man, Theseus gave his life to save mankind and earned a place amongst the gods. They rewarded his bravery with a gift. A son. Acamus. The fact that he was faithless has nothing to do with the fact that he then gave his life to save mankind. Yeah. I guess it's the irony that he was faithless and then he earned a place among the gods? Yeah, I guess so, because by that time he definitely knew the gods existed. Right. I don't know. Also, like, again, they never dealt with the emotional angst that he had with the gods, so would he (laughs) like living with them right. up on Olympus without his mom yeah I don't know about that well we see his son walking around a monument built to his father he touches it and receives visions of the battle oh cause it's Phaedra I mean you know they say he, they gave him a son that's not true clearly Phaedra must have already been pregnant by Theseus right. from the night together so maybe they they made sure the pregnancy made it all the way yeah, I, I, I don't know how that's really a gift but yeah, so he receives visions of the battle, which he inherited from Phaedra, which is weird because I thought the oracles were all girls. But yes, I've never heard of a male oracle. Also, yeah. feel like they could have chosen a less weird looking kid. I, yeah, the kid was not my favorite. No. So then the old man that is Zeus's human form, John Hurt, introduces himself to the son and says, soon it will be his time to fight against evil. I know, right? Then we see Acamas have a vision of Theseus and the other gods magically reborn or maybe these were the ones that were taking a vacation during this movie oh my goodness fighting in the skies like quite literally in the skies and i have no idea who they were fighting because the titans are dead i know but you know whatever that's the end of the movie clearly a sequel set up that never happens even though it made money yeah it did but i guess maybe because it was critically so bad maybe they thought that nobody would see the next one yeah Although, I mean, it was, like like I said, it was a beautiful movie. It just wasn't yeah, a well-written movie. But, yeah, I mean, it was made for $75 million, and it made $227 million. 
I don't understand why this was someone's best effort. There's so many Greek legends and such a rich yeah. mythology there. Like, how was this your best foot forward? It was everything was so hackneyed. Yeah, the story made no sense and felt like a means to an end that just wasn't worth it. So next up, we're going to go with a classic, or at least a classic if you're our age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's I Know What You Did Last Summer with Freddie Prince Jr., Sarah Michelle Gellar, Jennifer Love Hewitt. How could we go wrong? We'll see. It's next time on More Is More. For more of our podcast, go to moreismorepodcast.com. To contact us, write us at moreismorepodcast at gmail.com.